service to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Watch your back, Jean-Luc. Jean-Luc. I'm Captain Catherine Janeway of the USS Voyager. Captain Catherine Janeway of the USS Voyager. Welcome to the Greatest Generation Voyager. It's a Star Trek podcast from a couple of guys who are a little bit embarrassed to have a Star Trek podcast. I'm Ben Harrison. I'm Adam Pranica. Overflowing with embarrassment. <laughs> you hate to hear it. Uh, <laughs> like the parasite toilet. I was talking to our buddy Joshua, who's going to make emotes for our uh, our Twitch account. and uh, Still trying like, to make Twitch a thing. Are you? <laughs> I, th- I, I believe the Friends of DeSoto have made Twitch a thing. I don't think we really have much of a choice on that. Do you feel like we're point. too late on it? I feel like when the pandemic first started... That would have been a wise time for us to jump in. In typical fashion, where a good year passed <laughs> when it's cool to do a thing. Yeah. I don't know, man. I, uh, I've i been having a lot of fun doing it. I mean, uh, it's been like pulling teeth getting you to show up for any of them. But uh, <laughs> when you promise me that it's going to be a cocktail episode, I, I clear my schedule. <laughs> you set everything aside. <laughs> yeah. But I was, uh, I was, I think we only get like five custom emojis for the account at our current level of uh oh, yeah? of access and so i was trying to narrow down what emotions we should have and uh <laughs> embarrassment was like like not in contention for being cut from the list at all like that's that's the number one emotion of this program what do we got what are what can you share what the five are at this point shoot that's a I put you on the spot. That's an email I sent and forgot. <laughs> mm. um, but uh, yeah, we've got uh, Joshua Jones, the... Uh, the Joshua Jones? The chief emoji designer for Emojipedia is going to make the emotes for our Twitch account. We're friends with powerful people. That feels yeah. good. We could... <laughs> if we have an emoji problem that we need solved, we go right to the source. This actually gives me a great idea, Adam. We're, we're not just friends with Joshua Jones. We're also friends with Jeremy Burge, the proprietor of Emojipedia, mm-hmm. a man who lives on one of those weird canal boats that goes around England. <laughs> That's and, great. Uh, yeah, like like he occasionally posts photographs of his he, lifestyle. He's a and I'm boat just dad? Like, is that what you're he, suggesting? I don't know if he has any any children, but he is a he is a boat dad in in all but actual fact. To me, I think the main qualification of being a boat dad is the boat. Fatherhood is is a, de- a distant I, I don't second. Think, I don't think it matters to me anyway. <laughs> it's like when you're not a father and it doesn't really matter. It's like when Max Fisher tells his father that he's like a clipper ship captain married to the sea. When you're a boat dad, <laughs> you're, your child is the boat. Yeah, that's true. And unfortunately, your child can't take care of you in, a, in your old age. Uh, yeah. But 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 here's an idea that, that hit me just now. There's already a live long and prosper hand signal emoji. Mm-hmm. What if we could get a Horgon emoji into the Unicode official list? I feel like you and I, with the Friends of DeSoto, could start a campaign to make the Horgon emoji like at least come up for legitimate consideration. Is there a presentation we'd have to do before a a board? <laughs> there is yeah, there's like a like the Unicode consortium has like has like meetings where they vote on 
submissions to the list of emojis. Like, I feel like this is the kind of useless bullshit we should be spending our time on. You know, when you think about the dark characters who truly run the world and its <laughs> financial systems, the Unicode Consortium, if you were to just like start naming, you know, generic <laughs> know, names like for a- such a group, it sounds like they're who actually run things. Yeah, yeah. Like it sounds like another company that you would hear offhandedly mentioned in a RoboCop film. Yeah, like I, I you know, at first I really liked the bank that my mortgage belonged to, but then it got bought by the Unicode Consortium, and uh, <laughs> right. now I don't know who my lender is anymore. <laughs> Between Uxbridge, Shimoda, and the Unicode Consortium, we've really got some depraved evil corporations. I like that play. vibe. Look, no one's ever going to respect Benjamin R. Harrison or Adam Pranica, but I think I think a stranger... There's a, there's a generic amount of respect for Uxbridge, Shimoda, just as a name. Yeah. Respect and fear, yeah. frankly, you know, yeah. that sounds that sounds like a company that would exploit its two employees. <laughs> <laughs> it is a company that does. <laughs> I'm thinking about unionizing. Yeah. yeah. Hell no, we won't go. <laughs> we should have a little sit in. Well, I don't know. Uh, Tweet at the uh, at the Greatest Trek Twitter account if you think the Horgon should become uh, like an official emoji. I think I think we could build ahead of steam around this, make it a movement. You know. So tell me what would happen if it were. It would just be findable in the emoji keyboard for every device. It would just it would be available generally. Exactly. Huh. And wouldn't that be great? Like if Star Trek had two emojis and Star Wars still had zero emojis, wouldn't that be just the best? Yeah, that'd be great. That would fucking rule. We would never stop gloating about that as a community. Star Trek would finally have won the culture war, <laughs> which is which is something that really matters to a lot right. of people. Finally, finally, <laughs> I could I could maybe sleep through the night for once in my miserable life. Oof, man, you you really said it. Yeah. How? Hey, how how do you? What means sleep? <laughs> <laughs> How do you do it? How do you get back on the sleep horse? Because, uh, because, I mean, your sleep life has been shattered for a long time. Yeah, uh, mine, mine has been recently too. I got nothing, man. I've got, I have no tools. All the tools yeah. I used to use don't work anymore. My mind uh, feels like mush. I actually, I became afraid today that, uh, like, what's the, what's the the main one of the interesting covid effects is was mind mush right like that oh yeah 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 slow mind you're, just, you're foggy Fog- if, if you've got long covid you could get foggy forever fogged brains mm-hmm. i can't remember being as foggy as i feel today at this moment uh, which is the perfect time to record a podcast yeah when you, when you want to be when you really want to put your wit on display <laughs> what you want to do is lose out on a lot of sleep. They say you want, you know, to be to be gregarious, to be a good host of anything, to be just peak personality. You want that one and a half martini buzz going. I think. Right. <laughs> I think we both know that, but I I feel like I've had ten martinis. You've been going through a ton lately, man. Um, it's. Uh... I think it's only natural, and uh, I think the important thing is to just keep in mind that, like, when you're going through a shitty thing, that it's a temporary effect. You know, sleep will come. 
It will come. David after dentist, this is not forever. See, this is, uh, this is what happens when your body isn't responding in a way that it usually does. You can't uh-huh. just focus on it because then it's really not going to do the thing you were hoping it would do. Right. It's yeah. just going to retract. It's- what I'm experiencing is sleep retraction. Like when a man goes swimming afterwards <laughs> it's sucking it's sucking back into my body you have ed but for sleep i really need that sleep to work ben and i keep like <laughs> i keep flicking my sleep and <laughs> and nothing is happening my yeah. my sleep is just hanging useless like a frightened turtle maybe do a couple of packets of that cbd that company sent us i don't know yeah adam we got a uh, we got a hell of an episode to get into today. I think we should get into it. Yeah, I think it's time. I mean, look, this being a Benjamin R. Harrison edited episode, I mean, I'm I'm available to just draw this baby out. <laughs> okay, okay. Well, uh, <laughs> let's let's keep going on this Marin, then, buddy. Uh, Marin as revenge. That's not a good idea. I want a I want a healthy, productive relationship with my friend and co-host. I I don't want to. I'm not going to sabotage the Marin. Let's get into it. You're right. You're right, Ben. Let's do the show. Let's show up for each other, man. Now more than ever, that's what we need. It appears as though we've reached that moment. In every greatest gen, <laughs> where where we pivot from the open to the show itself, it's a it's a specific state of the show. Yeah, it, we've reached uh, what I like to call the boiling point, where <laughs> the bullshit cannot continue, and we've run out of things to talk about. So we have to start talking about an episode of Star Trek. In this case, season one, episode ten of Voyager. State of flux. Reverse course. Unless you've got something a little bigger in your torpedo tubes, I'm not turning around. <laughs> this is an episode that begins under the the harsh light of an away team mission. We're in away team race here. <laughs> it's very funny. I just watched. I, I am almost positive that this is Runyon Canyon, and then they shot this. This cave is the Bat Cave, mm-hmm. and. Uh, not only did I recently take a hike and visit this cave, because this is like a popular hiking destination in Los Angeles, I also just watched an episode of Baywatch that was shot at this exact cave. And wow. I was I was really tripping out on the on the I mean, there is kind of a huge amount of Star Trek Baywatch crossover, mm-hmm. a lot of shared directors, a lot of shared bit players and and like, you know, U five actors showing up on both shows. But um but the but the specific cave was was a real trip because I mean Star Trek has kind of uh, we talk about Star Trek caves a lot but it's pretty rare that they shoot in a real cave. It's a location used so often. I wonder how often a person wants to go and visit and you just can't because it's being used for a production. Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Sorry, you can't go in there. There's a guy dressed as a talaxian running around and uh, it wouldn't be safe. It seems like something that, I mean, I'm sure we'll eventually know the answer to this question, but I wonder if there are limits to locations, especially around LA, where like, look, man, that cave at Runyon Canyon, it's already been booked for half the year. Like, we can't, right. we're not allowed to book it anymore. It's like a wedding venue that's really popular. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the the Bat Cave is pretty fucked out, I would say. Yeah. <laughs> 
so this this is an away mission that is all about collecting uh, edible plants for uh, to restock Neelix's galley. And uh, Lieutenant Carey is really psyched because he's found something that looks like an apple. Oh, apple! And in the process of describing uh, how you would be poisoned by this fruit if you chose to eat one. Neelix nearly cocktaps Carrie. Oh, you get a sharp pain in your knees, which begins to work its way right up to... He is like really going for it, and, and Chicote has to grab his arm mid-flick mid and uh, and put a stop to that. I think we got the picture. I thought that was pretty intense, like uh, Chicote kind of stepping in as the HR department on this episode. <laughs> Is the suggestion that Carrie would ordinarily wear uh, a cup on an away mission? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Neelix is walking down the line with one of those aluminum bats to make sure everybody has their cup on. I just also want to say that I forgot Carrie's name uh, for a good portion of this episode. And uh, whenever he popped up on screen, I just referred to him as not O'Brien. <laughs> I he feel does have the bizarro world O'Brien vibe, doesn't he? Josh Clark, through no fault of his own. No relation, as far as we know, to the Josh Clark of Stuff You Should Know, a dear friend. Yeah, uh, just looks a lot like Miles O'Brien. I am Chief Miles Edward O'Brien. This is fucking spectacular. It really does. I think he's still a working actor. You hope so. He's a great looking God. guy. He has just aged into such a rugged face. <laughs> I just tapped on his IMDb photo. Oh, let's see. Wow. I'm going to click in. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> you know what? I wish I, I wish I didn't click because now I see how many episodes he's in and I, and I feel like uh, he may not be long for the Voyager world. Wow. Spoiler alert. Yeah. Anyways, up in orbit, Lieutenant Paris starts to get the sense that there may be more than one ship in orbit of this, we thought, uninhabited planet. And uh, they're, they're able to confirm this. Tuvok shoots this, this pulse out, and it kind of lights up space near uh, where the ship is. And you, you get like the shadow of the ship behind the, the pulse of bright light. It seems like a technology that could have and would have been deployed on TNG for... 40 episodes trying to detect a cloaked <laughs> ship. Like, Mr. Worf, fire the glitter cannon. <laughs> yeah, they say it's not precisely cloaked. And I, I, I wanted Technobabble to the effect of, like, in what way is it not cloaked? Like, why didn't you pick it up with sensors if it's not cloaked? Is this the one and only reference? I mean, well, we find out later, like, this is a Kazon ship, but... The Kazon clearly have cloaking technology. It wasn't used the first time we ran into them, right? Or was it? Well, it's implied in, in some of the dialogue that the, I mean, this is jumping way ahead, but it's implied in some of the dialogue that the Voyager crew member who's been in contact with them gave them the idea for this. So something that they wouldn't have come up with on their own, I guess. Can you imagine being uh, a, a spacefaring species with cloaking technology but not replicator technology <laughs> what a bummer <laughs> is their entire ship uh like 
food storage then? Nothing but bloodworms. You couldn't get very far without a lot, a lot of food. Or maybe they just eat like pill form food. Like they're they're like one of those 70s sci-fi futures where everything is consumed in like a, a like a nutrient pellet. They're so hangry all the time. Like yeah. their attitudes are such a bummer that I would imagine they're they're pill people. The Kazon Nistrum is one of the most violent sects in the entire Kazon collective. Not exactly bon vivants over there in the Kazon Nistrum. No. <laughs> so so Janeway orders that the away team needs to scramble back to the surface and they're kind of doing a head count as they uh, prepare to beam everyone up. And Ensign Kim is like, uh, you know, Ensign Seska isn't here. And Kote's like, yeah, of course. She's the transporter chief. Obviously, she's the one back on the ship beaming everybody up. (laughs) (laughs) And Kim is like, no, she doesn't have that job anymore for some reason. You remember the outlines of bodies that were crudely drawn next to her station? (laughs) As if she was some sort of, like, fighter pilot in World War II? (laughs) So Shakote does something that I think is pretty sus here, which is he says, all right, everybody back to the ship. I, by myself, will go look for her in the caves near where she was, you know, picking (laughs) olives or whatever. Chakotay, you got to use the buddy system, dude. You're so right here because like throughout the entire episode, I was like, no one suspects Chakotay ever. (laughs) And yet Chakotay is frequently around Seska. Yeah. And has a history with her that is much more complicated than either of us realize. Right, right. So, uh, yeah, he goes into this cave and does see a couple of Kazons walking around. And uh, he runs into Seska. She nearly shoots him because she's been hiding from the Kazon, quote unquote. And then they get in a gunfight with these guys. And Chakotay takes a hit and they got to like do the like no soldier left left in the field thing where he throws his arm over her shoulders and she like helps him limp out. Yeah, it's got to hurt, especially for being shot in the in the chest shoulder area. Yeah. It's probably not a part of the body you want to move. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't seem like the Kazon's phasers are that rugged, though. They're not like, uh, you know. The Jemadar shoot you, and it's like giving you a blood infection. <laughs> and the Kazon shoot you in the chest, and you're like, ow! Ow! <laughs> hey, I mean, it, thankfully, it looks like the wound is healing nicely. Kind of a relief. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Very irritating, though. Yeah. Ooh, that's smarts. <laughs> I wonder how reluctant the show was to shoot in a real cave after giving us so many episodes of Star Trek caves because the difference is really striking. Well, it seemed to me like they cut kind of in between real and set or something because there's the shot of Chakotay walking in, which mm-hmm. is clearly the Bat Cave. Mm-hmm. Like it's a real, it's a real formation of rock with dirt mm-hmm. and like exterior light behind him that they can't expose properly because outdoors and right. and and then when he finds Seska it it looked my, maybe more like a set to me but it also looked really like big and deep relative to the Star Trek caves we're used to seeing like it looked like a much bigger and more elaborate Star Trek cave set and I was like oh man we're gonna be in here the whole fucking episode because they really splashed out on this cave set and uh no, <laughs> this is the last we see of it. Wouldn't you be nervous about matching up the footage, though? Like, I would be terrified. I would shoot everything in that cave. And then if I had to, 
shoot in the Star Trek yeah. cave to try to match. But yeah, I'd, I'd be I'd be horrified at the prospect. Yeah, they did a nice job mm-hmm. though. It looked it looked good. Chicote recovers quickly on the ship. It looks like uh, his his cave drawing hand has is usable at least because he's in a very darkened quarters working on this thing when Seska walks in <laughs> and this is an the entire ki- episode that is lit very uniquely I would say and I think that that starts here this darkened quarters yeah. is a, is a brand new look for this show I think he has a a very gloomy lighting scheme mm-hmm. for his quarters and that seems it seems like that's like the way he keeps it on purpose. Yeah. You left me on Genesis. Why did you do that? What Seska was gathering on the planet's surface was mushrooms, and she shows up with like an urn full of mushroom soup and starts like bragging on how that she and some friends like pulled a caper where they distracted Neelix and got him to leave the galley so that they could raid it for ingredients and uh, she could make him his favorite type of soup. And Chakotay is like mid slurp when he finds out that this is stolen soup valor. You looted the food reserves? No. He sets the spoon back in the, back in the broth and pushes the bowl away. Disgusted. I love how much runway Seska is given to tell this story. Like, I know, you, it's such a long walk. If you had any question about who the main character of this episode is, it's answered right here, right now, because they basically, <laughs> like, Seska gives us the Goodfellas story of making marinara sauce from prison here <laughs> with this story of how the mushrooms fell off the back of Neelix's truck and the take that Robert Beltran gives in response, I don't know, man. Like the soup's been made, the damage has been done. I don't think you get. I don't think you want to waste that soup, Chicote. And plus, a really good mushroom soup. Nothing like it. One of my favorite soups. It's fucking spectacular. <laughs> I'm a. I'm not an entirely against soup person, but God, of course, I'm. I'm. I always marvel at how much you enjoy soup. Like. It seems impossible to me to like soup as much as you There's do. There's a test kitchen recipe for a mushroom and and rice soup. I just Oh yeah, is it fussy? <laughs> it's fussy as hell, man. <laughs> it's so fussy. That's the that's one thing that every test kitchen recipe has in common. It's like we're going to teach you how to make garlic bread in 18 Kind of complicated steps. You're going to use every pot in the kitchen for this garlic bread. It it will really surprise you why that is. (laughs) Right on cue, Neelix radios in about the stolen shrooms. I'd like to report a crime. After Chakotay hangs up on him, Seska kind of pivots into a... You forgive me because we used to have a thing, right? Like, you're not going to throw me in the brig. Not like you used to, anyway. The way this was revealed blew me away. Because she's kind of implying that they still have a thing. And then he has to kind of, like, remind her, no, (laughs) we broke up, remember? Yeah. Yeah, and there's, like, that cool film noir, you know, there's a reason, baby, that we didn't work out before. (laughs) And it's totally unstated. (laughs) (laughs) 
I mean, and they are looking out a window while they talk about it. So even further in the film noir vibe. You don't want to get mixed up with a guy like me. I'm a loner, daddy. A rebel. Chakotay is almost like performatively rule following at this point. Yeah. He's like, you're in trouble and so am I. I too ate the offending soup and therefore I will have my replicator rations revoked for two days. He's really insufferable with that moment <laughs> and really throughout the rest of the episode, it's kind of a tone setter for him. Yeah. He, uh... When you root for Tuvok more than Chakotay and you like being with Tuvok more than Chakotay because... Tuvok seems like he'd be more fun to be around. I think that's a problem for your non-Vulcan characters. Yeah. The, Tuvok's the kind of guy you want to have a beer with. Yeah. Chakotay is just like kind of exhausting at this point. Yeah. Seska resorts to using Ensign Kim as a sexual threat. I have had my eye on young Ensign Kim. Right. Which... Uh, There's our theory that Ensign Kim is low-key the number one stick man on the ship. Right. And I think this is a threat that Chakotay needs to take seriously. It's a lot to process, but we don't get much time because uh, Chakotay is called up to the bridge. There is a Kazon ship in distress. I guess it's the same ship that they saw in orbit. And uh, they're getting really bad uh, video call quality. Like It's like, it's like one of our Twitch streams <laughs> in the early days, like really breaking up bad sound quality. Yeah. No good. Hey, you don't like that. It's an emergency FaceTime, which is, yeah. I guess, I guess he grabbed the side of his ship and held down the side button for three seconds. <laughs> and then yeah. this thing went out. And then that, that like totally horrifying moment when you push it again to try and turn it back on and nothing happens for a minute. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know anyone who doesn't believe their phone for at least a second, will never turn back on after doing that. That's a that's a fear everyone has. It is by far the most upsetting thing about the way the iPhone is designed, <laughs> is that those buttons just don't seem to be connected to anything when you try and turn it back on. It just works. <laughs> they talk a little bit about how this distress signal is probably a a trap. Like the you know they don't really have a lot of trust built with the Kazon and have every reason to believe that this is some kind of scheme. It's Neelix and, who gives this voice. Yeah. Neelix, go I back mean, to the fucking kitchen, man. <laughs> yeah. Shouldn't you be supervising that stuff? Hey. Given the recent crime wave that has hit it? Yeah. Like, as the guy who just had his pants pulled down and his mushroom stolen, like, <laughs> give me a break. Janeway says, maybe this isn't a trap so much as a trappertunity. Mm. Yeah. Because <laughs> the Kazon are like one of the big players in this quadrant. It'd be really great if we helped them out in their time of, of greatest need and uh, then started to build some trust and made an ally in them. I mean, put another way, they might have something of value over on their ship. Maybe we uh, open up the Velcro of that trappertunity in an attempt to <laughs> keep her. <laughs> <laughs> some of their uh, some of their assets over there. Yeah, and Neelix is like, Trappertunity keepers are banned in my school. Turns out they they keep all of their valuables cinched in using these plastic rings that like <laughs> like all you have to do is pull hard and and their stuff comes, comes falling right out. out. Yeah. And then it's broken. Yeah. They have to ask their parents for a replacement. Yeah. What a waste. So uh they beam over to this ship and uh Everyone on this ship is like f frozen in 
carbonite. There's like melted metal goo all over the place in Kazon that are that just got like caught in it. Another example of Seska being involved in an away team and not being the transporter op. I think you could sprinkle in a couple of scenes of Seska getting onto the pad looking askance at <laughs> at the new chief here, you know? Yeah, yeah. I wish they'd given a little voice to this because, like, they do talk about, like, Lieutenant Carey not getting tapped on the shoulder to be Mm -hmm. head of engineering. I think that it's very clear that Seska has been taken off of transporter duty. Right. I wish that they'd had, like, Chakotay say, like, listen, Seska's been, like, turning people into cat food left and right with the bad transporter operations. Let's start sending her on a lot of away missions, you know? That's a good way to get rid of somebody that's a, a bit of dead weight. We cut to Seska on the away team, and she's looking at these people who look like they've been beamed inside of walls and stuff, and she's like, <laughs> like it's PTSD for her <laughs> from all the times she's done that to people. <laughs> I feel personally attacked by this away mission. They're like, Seska, why don't you uh, see if there's any radiation on the other side of that field? Yeah, go ahead and walk right through. Yeah, I... The blocking of the scene and in subsequent scenes continued to confuse me because it's made very clear through mime hands that there's a that there's a, there's a field up for their protection. And then right. Seska just kind of walks around it into the foreground of the frame in a way yeah. that was very confusing for me. They show it on a screen later and there's like a curve to it, mm-hmm. but it, it looked like it curved the other way. From the way she walks? Like sometimes when when we see shields around three-dimensional objects in Star Trek, we see the curvature in a way that helps us make logical sense of it. There is no curvature to this shield when we first see it. And that's part of the problem. Anyways, it's very confusing. They find some like exploded technology and that's clearly like where this all started, where all these problems started for the Kazon. And they also find one survivor who is in really bad shape so they beam him directly to six bay i thought it was a unique moment in the episode when we're on an away team we find a survivor we beam them away and then the show doesn't go with the person being beamed away we remain with the away team in what feels like a fairly unique storytelling fashion yeah because they're they're getting some readings off of this you know ground zero of the explosion and it's a it's a piece of equipment, and it's got neosorium. Is that what they say? Yeah, it's got neosorium technology, which is a a technology that is unique to the Federation. Only the Federation puts this on their cuts before putting a bandage on top. <laughs> They're the only species that does this. They don't buy the generic stuff at the at the drugstore. They go neosorium every time. Yeah, yeah. You're not going to get a scar with neosorium. Even though this guy and everyone else on that ship extremely scarred up. (laughs) This technology didn't do them any favors. You think that's what's going on with their loaf? Because like the Kazon, I mean, it's a little bit like Klingon Hedridges, but it looks very like inflamed and irritated on a Kazon in a way that it never does on a Klingon. I think going through puberty as a Kazon would be great. Because who's going to (laughs) notice your acne? Yeah, yeah. Wow, your voice changed suddenly. Nice one. I didn't even realize you were an adolescent. <laughs> so we get a uh, a bedside McLaughlin group issue one in Six Bay after after they come to this realization of this this Federation tech on the ship. Nice to see Doc Holloway. I feel like it's been a, while, a little while. Yeah, 
They learn that every cell in this Kazan's body has been altered. He was luckier than the others. That remains to be seen. I guess this radiation pulse like basically pushed metal through everyone's body and he fused with metal on like a molecular level, but it didn't it didn't like overwhelm him as much as the others. This is a moment in the episode that I felt like was a mistake that because like we could have we could have doled out these clues a little more judiciously, but instead the doctor's like, yeah, his his blood has been replaced with vegetable broth for some reason. <laughs> and uh, and we can't really we can't really tell why that is. Like telling us right away that it's replicator technology at fault here. There's coffee in that minor technology that could change the balance of power in this quadrant. Did you think Kess maybe had like another change to her hair? subtler than the last time but it seemed like it seemed like they changed the lines a little bit anytime there's a Kazon in the room i'm not looking at anyone else's hair i've got to be honest <laughs> with you they they Fair take all the hair enough. oxygen out of the scene <laughs> black. make it yourself i'm trying to help you see this as an opportunity to grow make it yourself so this mclaughlin group kind of continues out the door and down the hall with tuvok chakotay and the captain uh, the implications of there being Federation technology on this Kazon ship are pretty upsetting to the captain. And Tuvok is kind of talking through how that might have happened. And he's like, maybe somebody else developed this technology independently of the Federation. Uh, or maybe it's more of like a Carlos Mencia thing where uh, it's more of like joke theft. And uh, if so, that would be pretty, that would be pretty bad. What, what is, how, how did you get my espresso machine? Uh, you fucking stole it, man. One of the three ideas that Tuvok proposes is that they may have gotten it from another Federation ship that beat them to this quadrant. Yeah. <laughs> and I wish they allowed that to exist as a possibility a little longer. And not only that, like, to exist so long as it's stretched out for several seasons. The idea right. that there's another mystery ship out there, I think, is a tantalizing possibility. That would have been a really fun seed to, to leave planted. Yeah. But Tuvok goes with door number three almost immediately. It is the most probable explanation. He's thinking that there's a Oliver Mencia on board. <laughs> they do that thing where they like stop the turbo lift mid shaft to to process this. Like there, there may well be a traitor on board and like what the actual fuck? Like we are all in this together. Like how could anyone possibly justify selling technology to the Kazon and... It's a very upsetting moment for the captain. The music changes in the scene and I think doesn't change back for the entire episode in a fun way. I think we're getting an expression from Kate Mulgrew. Like there's a real Catherine Janeway reacts happening in almost every episode where she is given a bit of information that is extremely bad. And yeah. she just has to process and then make a decision about it. It's like you and I basically every day of 2021. It's Captain Janeway's Reddit face. <laughs> so so this technology would have had to be transmitted to the Kazon somehow. Mm -hmm. And so she she wants Tuvok to basically go through all of the logs of ship to ship transmissions that they've sent and see if she see if he can find what was sent to whom and when and by whom. Tuvok suggests that Chakotay might want to be careful around Seska, which is probably good advice generally 
uh, if yeah. you ever want to be transported anywhere. <laughs> and this was not a good moment for Captain Janeway because I think she asks a question that she's better than and she's smarter than as a character, which is why would anyone betray us? Yeah. I can think of a reason, Captain Janeway. <laughs> you surrounded yourself with Mayquees and you blew up your only way home. In the first episode. <laughs> it's the narcissism of self-assuredness. Like yeah. she, she's like, I obviously like make all the correct decisions because I'm the captain, so everybody should be on my side. Why would anyone dislike me? Me for <laughs> making very unlikable decisions. <laughs> I also I, I, I thought it was it was very interesting. Like they're going over like the list of suspects and Seska Seska leaps to the top of the list, but uh, Carrie is also a a prime suspect in this episode and i was very proud of you for that because when we were talking about the episode cap for this in the last episode of the greatest generation you were like it's either carrie or seska yeah <laughs> you really nailed it it's elementary dear data i mean at this point in the episode they do a fairly good job of playing the shell game between them you know like, yeah. you're not really sure who it's going to be. But the thing is, like, Seska from Jump has always been suspicious acting. When she looks at you, you can see she's working things out. In a way that Carrie isn't. Like, Carrie came straight out with his dislike of BLT in those earlier episodes. Like, there's a there's an emotional honesty to Carrie that seems better hidden by, by Seska in a way that makes her more of a suspect than than Carrie ever would be at this point. Right. So this crew makes it down to engineering where BLT and Seska and Carrie are working on how do we get at this technology that's like stuck over there on that ship awash in radiation. There's a force field up, but if we open it, we'll flood the whole compartment. <laughs> Speaking of Scotty, there's a great moment here where BLT is giving Captain Janeway kind of the schedule of work ahead because the problem to solve here is how they get that piece of tech over to the ship given the many challenges they face we uh, we should be able to make an attempt by tomorrow and captain janeway's like no like like what is it really <laughs> and blt is like i'm never gonna scotty you all right yeah. i want to i want to start our relationship on on solid truthful footing and that means i'm gonna give you deadlines that are accurate and i'm also never gonna take a family member to, to the bridge if they're injured uh, before taking them to six bay like I should. I thought it was a little weird that she dipped into that patois of, I'm nay a miracle worker. I don't want that reputation. Understood, Lieutenant. When it comes time to delegate the tasks for this job, though, Chakotay really middle managers himself into this thing. Like, BLT's got the shit handled, and then he goes and he steals Seska away from this. And yeah. assigns her to the bridge. And this is a thing that Seska takes great umbrage with. Yeah. Demoted to the bridge. Yeah. <laughs> She's pissed. Yeah. I mean, it seems like... You get snacks when you work on the bridge, though. I I'd want to go there. You do get snacks on the bridge. Uh, I'd never seen Cass and Neelix show up with past apps in engineering one single time. Are those Valerian canopies? Engineering is a, is a lids-only environment, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They say, like, hey, if you can go get a hoof... Uh, to put that in, yeah. you can bring it in, but otherwise, sorry. There are no cup holders in engineering, and I'm almost positive I've seen them on the bridge. <laughs> I thought that there was like some interesting subtext in the scene because it it felt very plausible to me that Seska wanted 
a little bit of autonomy, a little bit of like plausible deniability to slip away. Mm -hmm. And she knows that by being on the bridge, she's going to have a lot of eyes on her. Yeah. And she makes her complaint not about that, but about being babysat and about, you know, having suspicion cast on her by somebody that is supposed to trust her or whatever. Especially so publicly, right? Like this, this reassignment happens in front of everyone and that's very uncomfortable. Yeah. But uh, she's a classic manipulator. She like knows how to play it in public and in private in just the right way. Right. So Seska, after registering this complaint with Chakotay, uh, does something fairly suspicious by going directly to Six Bay to ask Kess about the condition of the patient. And Kess here has a little joke. She's like, uh, Kazon, more like Lazon, am I right? And then like gestures <laughs> over to the to the Kazon in the bio bed. Mm-hmm. Were you able to look at her haircut in this scene before the camera <laughs> pulled back to reveal the Kazon? Or? No, I was looking in the direction of where the Kazon was laying. I wasn't even looking at Kess here. I'm sorry. Okay, interesting. <laughs> so yeah, they got to replace all of his blood. And what, what Kess has been working on is screening... Everybody aboard the ship to see if they have uh, type K positive blood yeah. to to transfuse for this guy. And Kess turns to Seska and is like, hey, uh, you seem to have somehow never given a blood sample to Six Bay, which is super dangerous for you and also kind of inconvenient for me because I'm trying to find compatible donors right now. Seska's like, ooh, that's because I'm a heavy intravenous drug user and uh, (laughs) I've been told I should not give blood under any circumstances. My blood won't help you. She's had some kind of blood disorder where she's not allowed to donate and... uh, Everybody's like, wow, super convenient. Interesting that that would come up now and not any other time, Seska. Well, okay. Yeah. Anyway, I've got a few more stops to make before I go back to the bridge. <laughs> we cut from this scene to uh, Tuvok Chakotay and Captain Janeway having a very four by three conversation in a private room that they've reserved. They do not need <laughs> to be this close. They're basically having a huddle before a play starts. How many yards we get? Seven? Two. Really? Yeah. One and a half. We keep bumping into dead ends. I don't think ever on TNG, Picard took a couple of officers into his ready room and then stood eight inches away from them <laughs> to hear what they had to say. But that's what Janeway does here. Are they concerned that someone outside the door could hear them? There must be a cure. Some formula. <laughs> you raised such an interesting point that like, why does everybody trust Chakotay in this episode? Yes. And he is in this inner circle for these scenes. We trust Chakotay because the episode does, because we're with him so often. But I think I think they could have made the episode far more interesting if we weren't with him as much. And instead, we were with Tuvok the whole time. But I guess maybe right. we've gotten a number of Tuvok as detective episodes up until now. And maybe the interest was in changing the perspective. And also... The captain's trust in Tuvok has been shaken a little bit right, recently, so right. maybe maybe she is like hoping that she can uh, balance that out by having her other right hand in the room right. and just you know hoping that he's not involved somehow. What they're sharing in this conversation is that the signal came from their ship. There's yeah. there, a signal was sent from their ship to the Kazon ship. It was during like a test of some sensor package and it was kind of like hidden in the in the chaos of that. Captain Janeway was like, we didn't send a signal. And then Tuvok says, according to our databanks, we have. 
twice. <laughs> and then BLT sticks her head in the door and she says, are we shooting <laughs> torpedoes? <laughs> they're like, why do you keep doing that? Why are you doing the voice? And what is that voice even? <laughs> a good time so often has a downside, doesn't it? Especially when it comes to stuff that you put in your birdie. We've all been hungover before. I mean, many of us have, I guess. Or we've had too much jazz in our gummy. And that sucks, right? Because you don't think about the time after the good time that you've been trying to have a good time. That's why I like Lumi Labs so much. It's the predictability. Through painstaking trial and error, I have found my perfect dose. It's what I can depend on when I can use a little more chill, a little help getting into a creative headspace, and I don't need to have too much fun doing whatever it is I need to be doing. And I'm so glad that Microdose is available nationwide. That means just about anyone can try it. To learn more about microdosing THC, go to microdose.com and use the code SCARVES to get free shipping and 30% off your first order. Again, that's microdose.com and the code is SCARVES. One of the amazing things about making The Greatest Generation is getting to see all of the cool, creative stuff that the Friends of DeSoto make when we do a Code 47 episode. People send in handcrafted stuff all the time, and they send in their books, they send in paintings, they send in uh, crochet work. It's so cool. And uh, I want a few more of you to have websites to direct us to in those letters. I want you to put your beautiful work on display for the world so that when we get to look at it, we can tell people where to go to get a look at it themselves. And you don't have to know anything about building a website to build a website these days because you can use Squarespace. It'll look beautiful no matter what kind of device people are looking at it on. Hell, you can even sell stuff using a Squarespace website. Don't make your cool, creative project captain's eyes only. Head to squarespace.com slash scarves for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. To get that Latin or not, are you planning a heist? 
gold. This gets broken up again by the news that some some Kazan ships are kind of bearing down on them. They're 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 a long ways off. Like I think they say four hours. Yeah, a useful amount of time. Four hours and twenty minutes, and Tom Paris takes out a, a bowl and blazes it up and is like right on. <laughs> a like two foot vaporizing pan like shoots up from his panel. <laughs> uh, but this sucks, right? Because four hours is not enough time for our non-miracle worker chief engineer to complete the thing she was working on to get that piece of equipment off of the Kazon ship. Right. And they're talking about, oh, oh shit, like this is about to get a lot more complicated when Harry Kim reports that a transporter is firing in Transporter Bay 2. And I just thought that this would have been a perfect moment for Seska to accidentally get mangled in Mm -hmm. a transporter accident. What a poetic end for that character. I mean, you can tell that Harry is relieved to be reporting that it's Seska that's leaving because I think this is this qualifies as just one less problem for Harry Kim. You know, the further away Seska is, the yeah. better because she drama. <laughs> yeah, his DMs are going to calm down a lot. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, the Delaney sisters were far less stressful to be around than Seska. Totally. So Seska had had proposed this idea of making a subspace bubble around herself and going in and getting the equipment. It was deemed too dangerous, but now that there's time pressure, she's just taken it upon herself to go ahead and do it. This was a technology she learned from Harry Kim, though, who had experimented with putting a subspace bubble around the tip of his penis. <laughs> and And the numbing effects of the subspace bubble made it so that he could last a really right. long time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a ridged bubble for her pleasure. It, it was sexual inspiration that that <laughs> Seska had in that moment. And so she goes, and this is a great, like this conflict on the bridge is so great because Tuvok's like, ah, oh, she's destroying evidence. She's clearly the guilty one. And Chakotay's like, she's over there proving her innocence, man. And at this point, <laughs> no one can tell which is which. Yeah, and they're like, should we just beam her out of there? And they're like, well, that could that could kill her interesting idea no we can't do that yeah but her subspace bubble fails cut over to kim and and he's like fails every time (laughs) i told her it wouldn't last forever (laughs) they uh they have to beam her directly to six bay chakotay runs down there and uh she's got a real nasty sunburn when he gets there when we cut to six bay and we start from the back of her head and and rotate the camera around, this is a this is a camera move that telegraphs horror. And so by the time we got around to the front of Seska's face, I was like, Rouge? That that's the big reveal? <laughs> that's it? <laughs> I know. I was expecting to see like scrambled eggs up there. I was writing a note on my phone and I like looked away from this scene and looked back up and like she she kind of like turns her head back and forth a couple of times and the side of her face that is uh, the most singed falls into shadow toward Mm -hmm. the end of the scene. And I was like, oh, did I miss something more severe? And I had to rewind it and rewatch because you're right. Like it, it totally implies that she is really fucked up by this, but. We know the visual language of radiation, too, because we've seen it on Star Trek. We've seen it on Spock's face, specifically. Like, I think you need to give us some bubbles. Yeah. (laughs) 
like the only way that I knew for sure that it was radiation was when Bolana Torres showed up and said she stayed at her post. <laughs> <laughs> it took Torres a long time to get there because she hit every button on the turbo lift. <laughs> <laughs> so we get a uh, an interrogation scene this time with uh, Lieutenant Carey, who comes in to the captain's ready room and uh, sits down across from her, while Tuvok and Chakotay kind of stand over his shoulders. This is a, an incredibly intimidating way to be asked a bunch of questions. The blocking here is intimidating, but Ben, they do something really subtle here that I love, which is Carrie's com badge is riding a little high. And I think that indicates a lack of confidence. When you yeah. when you drop the com badge down, I think it elevates your confidence into a, right. into a Cal Hudson area. But a high com badge, like how Carrie's wearing it, you can tell why they did it because of how they framed him. They they didn't want to cut the badge by the bottom of the frame, so they moved it yeah. up a bit, but it makes him look in trouble. It makes him look guilty. You're out of contact for almost an hour on the planet where we encountered the Kazon. You mean when I was picking those poison apples? It's another scene where the captain is sitting behind a desk and looks incredibly low relative yeah. to the desk. And you've called this out in the observation lounge scenes previously i'm wondering if Catherine janeway is just the kind of person that comes and sits down in a chair and lowers it like the first thing she does is go like grabs the controls and, and lowers the seat as far as it'll go one of my favorite memes is those two women yelling at the cat in this case i am the cat <laughs> I love the real housewives. I, the only thing I love more than them are lolcats. <laughs> and Carrie is basically grounded and sent to his room at the end of this scene. Yeah. Uh, his answers are insufficient. Poor Carrie. He gets told that he's like confined to quarters until they can straighten this out, which, I mean, makes sense. Like they take, like if they're, if you're eliminating variables, uh, Seska is eliminated because she's on bed rest in Six Bay, and Carrie is eliminated because he's sent to quarters. It'd be so great it if BLT for them. kept on checking in to say that the time it takes to do things is getting longer based on <laughs> <laughs> on Seska being benched and now Carrie. I have a bad feeling about this. It's just not going to work out. The second he leaves, they're like, well... He has the motive and opportunity. And I was like, what motive? Yeah, like, I didn't see that like, either. They implied that he was like jealous of Bolana for getting the big job over him. But I don't see that translating to betray the entire ship. Like they don't they don't make the case that he's that kind of person, you know? You mean me personally? It's interesting that the revelation of the type of technology happens later and, and its relationship to the level of guilt that this person, the guilty party might have on the ship. Like, mm -hmm. like, because no one knows what's been traded, the feeling is far more hostile for a suspect like Carrie or for Seska, thinking that, like, the technology could be a weapon. It's not been stated, but, like, it could be anything. And that it ends up being replicator technology feels, like, retroactively something that makes the suspect less evil, you know? Right. Yeah, like it's a 
a humanitarian act. Why the very name is racist. It sucks that Kerry can't get himself out of this kind of jail, though. Like, there should be, he should be able to explain this. I really liked his performance, though. There's a moment where he just, he's like mid-sentence and he just kind of stops and realizes he's like not going to talk his way out of this. Right. And is like, listen, I don't know if Seska did it or not, but I didn't do it. And that's all I can say for now. Like, I, you know, like, where's my fucking lawyer, basically. Right. Yeah. Good luck finding one out here, Carrie. <laughs> You're fucked. Philippe It brings a sense of order and stability to my universe to know that you're still a pompous ass. So this Kazon ship approaches and uh, the Kulla gets up on FaceTime and asks what the deal is. You got one of my ships over there and you got a guy on a bio bed. I mean, we call them liaisons when... Whenever whenever one of our own is sick and uh, it needs to be confined to bed rest, it's just uh-huh. a little little Kazon joke. Throw we love doing bits over here, you know? <laughs> the quickness with which Captain Janeway allows this dude and his handler to come over, pretty striking because the very next scene, smash cut to six bay and the gang's yeah. all there. Yeah, he's got an assistant there with him. They're talking about the blood replacement. I kind of thought that they were going to do like a World War II era, like you replaced his blood thought- with other blood from non Kazons. Oh! Objection noted. We'll do this without you. Do it. Do it. Do it. But they don't do that. Instead, they uh, they realize like, oh, this guy is going to recover, and Kula is making threats like, hey, like you can't take shit off of our ships. He seems more concerned about the ship than the than the Lazon. Isn't he? Yeah. I, I got yeah. that vibe straight out. Clearly, Lazons, like a, the second a Kazon becomes a Lazon, <laughs> they, they become expendable. Hey, uh, if you got time to Lazon, you got time to Clazon. <laughs> <laughs> I love how uh, how he's like, look, we're going to take the ship back, and, uh, and that's all there is to it. And Captain Janeway's like, we're actually doing a crime show here. That ship is evidence, so... Didn't you see all that yellow tape that yeah. we wrapped around the other ship? Yeah. <laughs> he starts kind of making threats. He's like, you guys may have a fancy ship, but you've only got one of them, and we've got a bunch more on their way, so uh, you better you better start start to stepping. Like, we're, we're not fucking around with you. And um, the captain, like, sidles up to the doctor and is like, hey, if you could, like, stall <laughs> these guys and make them let us keep this dude in a bio bed for a while. That would be great because we, we would really like to ask him a question or two when he wakes up and the doctor's like, yeah, that's a great idea. And as they're having this conversation, the assistant to gets like a little hypodermic needle that pops out of the ring on his finger yeah, and kills the Lazon. He dead. Everybody saw that this was about to happen, but nobody was able to react fast enough. Not even Tuvok. <laughs> I thought the same thing. Like, I love the effect, like this little needle is so, like the gauge of the needle is so tiny and the sound of it coming out, great sound effects work. Swing, swing. I mean, I thought it was effective. They like scan him and they're like, no, they've given him the AstraZeneca (laughs) vaccine. That'll lead to blood clots in 0.001% of cases. It's one of those moments that is more interesting as an effect than it is in the logical foundation of what's going on in the room, you know? Like, there should be a force field up or something. Right. Like, I feel like, and I don't think this is exclusive to 
working with the Kazon, but like that jailhouse visitation rule should be in effect when your enemies are visiting enemies on board your ship, right? Like they should be right. separated in a way that would prevent this. Why couldn't this have taken place over FaceTime? Yeah. That's a question I had. Yeah. Anyways, he he's dead. They like And they just the- kick him out. That's what's great. <laughs> like, you just murdered this Lazon. I'd like to invite you to leave. Yeah. You'd think that that's going to be the end of the six bay scene, but the doctor and Kess want a word with the captain. They're like, listen, uh, we're still working on the uh, Seska being sick thing over there, and uh, we screened her blood, and her blood is not Bajoran. And the doctor does what I like to call dropping the sea bomb. My suspicion is she was born... Cardassian. What the fuck? It's a real problem, this episode. Uh, people's blood not being the blood that it needs to be. <laughs> or that they're expecting. What Seska's blood implies is that, in fact, she is a Cardassian who has been genetically re-engineered and re-loafed to appear to be a Bajoran. No one suspected it. She had no taste for Kanar. I mean, the only... <laughs> The only thick beverage she enjoyed came out of Ensign Kim. <laughs> so, so that so that didn't tip anyone off, except for Ensign Kim. Oh! <laughs> Anyways, the captain and uh, Tuvok uh, have another little meeting with Chakotay, this time to break the news to him that his ex-girlfriend and... Uh, one of his former crew was in fact a double agent and uh, he is understandably humiliated <laughs> at the end of the CD. He turns to Tuvok and he's like, did anybody on that ship genuinely work for me? Was I the only like actual Maquis on board? What the fuck? <laughs> this is an unintentionally funny scene. It really is. Like it makes Chakotay seem like such a boob. <laughs> Chakotay's like, you... Tuvok expect me to believe that the Maquis were infiltrated by someone who turned out to not be who they said they were? How dare you? <laughs> it's Tuvok. What are what do you think they're trying to do to Chakotay's character here? Like what do you think his reason for being is? Because he's not a great character right now. He's not interesting and he's not good at his job. He's starting to come across as being like almost unimaginably gullible for somebody who worked in a like clandestine <laughs> terrorist organization. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. Like he's like Major Kira didn't trust everyone she met, but Chicote for some reason does. He's definitely got like the G.001 clearance at the CIA or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> like he's uh, he's only authorized to open junk mail. Hello, did anybody lose their secret CIA shit? I don't think so. They sent the engineering team over to the Kazan vessel to get the piece of broken equipment. Colors like threatening them and you know saying like you're not allowed to go over there and do that. And this is a a great Janeway moment. She just will not take guff from anyone. You know, I'm really easy to get along with most of the time. But I don't like bullies, and I don't like threats. 
and I don't like you, color. Ragusea used this this clip in uh in one of the drops in the Janeway song. Yeah. Because uh because it's so fucking boss. I love the tension between like the confidence of a captain who who knows her torpedoes are strong and the acceptance of it may not matter how many torpedoes we have if what we've got raining down on us are more and more Kazon ships. It's a math problem here more than it is a weapons problem. Right. But crucially, those Kazon ships are are not here yet. Yeah. And so when she says basically fuck around and find out mm-hmm. to Kulla, Tuvok like, looks at his instrument panel and he's like, he is not fucking around, Captain. It's a real fun reversal of the hold here because the Kazon guy is like, you're the one acting toward war. And Captain Janeway is like, an act of war would be shooting our remaining torpedoes in that ass. (laughs) And then the Kazon basically hangs up on her. Right. And uh, I think it's, I don't know, it's very interesting how when the Voyager encounters the Kazon, it keeps being this thing where like, the Voyager is not trying to be hostile to the Kazon. They're not trying to do things to provoke them. And inevitably, what they have to do is interpreted in that way by the Kazon. It's interesting how hostile it is only verbally between them. They really yeah. snipe at each other. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but like we started this episode with with Janeway wanting to potentially turn this into an alliance, something that they right. could like count on like wh- like what if we could make friends with these people like it was it was a cool idea right it just didn't last no no it's really disappointing it's not disappointing so- to the costume department who won't have to <laughs> assemble these <laughs> alien characters every single episode going forward of course it's locked in what listen to me very carefully because i'm going to say this once they get the uh, equipment back over to engineering and they're scanning it and they realize that it has more than just federation technology in it. it's like composed out of bioneural fibers which is like a brand new technology that voyager is the first ship equipped with so that throws the ghost ship the other federation ship theory out the window this yeah. has to have come from voyager's uh transmission and uh and that's pretty damning that means definitely Either Carrie or Seska did it. In a moment that, to an outsider, would seem incredibly suspicious, Chakotay takes this information right to Seska. <laughs> What's wrong with you? We find out later it's part of it's part of the manipulation happening, yeah. but yeah, this bedside scene is a challenge to everything that that Seska has offered up until now. Totally. As a defense. It's- it seems hella suspicious that he goes goes over to her. He's implying that like it's not that bad. It was just a replicator, but um, you know my confidence in you has been totally shaken. I know about the whole Cardassian thing, and she's like, I am not a Cardassian. I had this this blood disorder. Like you, you can ask the Cardassian lady that like donated bone marrow to save me when we get back home. I thought Martha Hackett's performance in the scene was great because she really sells this this moment like you you start the scene going like she is a Cardassian secret agent she is uh you know betraying the voyager for like selfish Cardassian reasons and you end going like oh she actually has like 
like somewhat justifiable Maquis kinds of reasons for doing this and also might not in fact be a Cardassian. I had only one agenda with you, Chakotay, and I never kept it secret. Up until now, she's been given a lot of short, quippy moments to help us understand her personality. And, and this is the first of two scenes where she's really given the room to, to monologue here in yeah. both this story and her, and her anger scene later on. Like, uh, she really does good work here. I thought she had a great episode. In the corridor, it's clear that this conversation was part of a plan that Chakotay and Tuvok hatched that has already gone into motion with Carrie off screen. Yeah. They were both given the same uh, the same story about the, uh, you know, where this equipment was stolen from, I guess. I guess like part of it was actually like physical stuff that got stolen. Yeah. And I guess that means that she gave it to them in the Star Trek caves at the beginning of the episode. Yeah, must have been. That is incredibly risky. Yeah. And and I guess the transmission then was just to tell them how to avoid getting picked up on Voyager sensors at the beginning of the episode. And so this all was uncovered just by sheer luck. Yeah. Yeah. Like that Tom Paris happened to notice something weird on his panels and like looked into it. That's wild. The amount yeah. of luck involved in picking them up at all. Really bad <laughs> luck for Seska. <laughs> so they've kind of like uh, set up a set up a stakeout. They're sitting in engineering just like playing gin and <laughs> waiting for an alarm to go off on the computer. <laughs> I thought this was kind of a funny scene. They really do that that beginning of the scene sequence of just following a random crew person walking all the way across the set before the <laughs> camera finds our two primary characters. I always love that. I do too. And I love <laughs> this poor guy like is is looking like he's trying not to look like he's acting like he's walking. Yeah. Well, it's given the sense that this is like after hours in yeah. engineering, so he's kind of taking a slow walk. But like, I feel like he's walking at a pace that is like almost impossible to walk at. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, I either walk way slower or way faster than that. I never walk at that speed. We laugh, but like, if either of us or anyone we knew or anyone in the world were given the, the direction to walk across a room. It's impossible not to be self-conscious about that. It's it's so hard. Yeah. Um, I think he does a nice job considering. Yeah. So they they start watching this like this, you know, these the security codes uh getting entered into the computer. Somebody's like trying to cover their tracks in the ship's inventory system. And uh, I'm sure as a guy who used to work in retail, you you're probably very familiar with this kind of thing. Oh yeah, like uh like they dial up the green screen AS400 of the uh, replicator inventory. <laughs> and like, it's just ancient technology that only old brick and mortar stores use. Uh, but it works and it's stable and that's why they use it on the Voyager. Yeah. No reason to Fucking change a, a thing that's bulletproof. working. Bulletproof, yeah. <laughs> and uh, they see Seska's security code go in. And so BLT is like, we got him. If it's Seska's security code going in, obviously this is Carrie trying to throw us off the scent and frame Seska. And then we cut to Chakotay entering a dark six bay. And uh, it becomes clear very quickly that uh, BLT was completely wrong. <laughs> 
have to shoot. It's one of those, you don't actually think I'd be dumb enough to use my own code, right? Yeah. And Chakotay's like, that's the point. That's the fucking point. This is a really intense scene. Like the, the captain comes in with Tuvok and a couple of This is like three-card Monty where the person at the card table moves the queen once, though. Like, were, <laughs> right. were you satisfied with the tradecraft here? I mean, you kind of feel like Seska is backed into a corner at this point. Like, she is relying on her previous performance being persuasive enough to Chakotay, but like... It's three-card Monty where the, the operator moves the queen once but also has an extremely good getaway plan. Yeah, that's true. And we're given a lot of background about how much was done to chase down you know, this computer terminal to begin with. Like I think Chakotay describes right. it as, as going through every piece of fiber filament on the ship in order to find, find its source. So. Yeah. Do you side with Seska in this scene when she turns it around on the captain and is like, I only did it because you, you fucking idiot, stranded us in the Delta Quadrant. A Federation captain who destroyed our only chance to get home. Well, I mean, I'm a rule follower, so I don't side with her. But what I do is <laughs> admire the shot that she takes. And I appreciate the voice that she's given to... What is never revealed to be a popular opinion on the ship in a way that I was hoping for. Like, mm -hmm. Seska is is made into be a lone wolf here. But, you know, when we cut from her to the disgust on Janeway's face and then back to Seska's rage, like... It would have been nice to, like, catch Chakotay being like, yeah, she's got a point. <laughs> One of the ways to turn the knife from Seska would be like, and I'm not the only one who feels this way. And uh -huh. you think it's easy to to dig me out. Like we are we're buried in the ship like fucking ticks. Like yeah. good fucking luck figuring out uh, who else feels like me. So the threat of Seska is maintained by virtue of her escape. Yeah. So we maintain the threat level, but in a different way from what I was hoping for, which was its presence, like like the threat of of proximity. I think, and and how acute that would be going forward. I think would be would be effective. But yeah, I wonder. Like there, this is that kind of TV writing that is like all about not closing doors, and they. I feel like this is a way of potentially writing this character off the show or not like seska still maintains tons of potential in both directions sure feels like a rom yarlin situation in, yeah. in progress here like she's going to show back up for some reason she's not going to be a cardassian she's gonna like have the <laughs> have the pine cones stuck to her head <laughs> i've decided to uh convert to kazon society yeah that'd be fun well, yeah, anyways, she uh, she's like pre-programmed the computer to beam her out to a waiting Kazon ship. Computer, command XJL. And um, the button on the episode is uh, Chakotay finding Tuvok hanging out in the galley. <laughs> and uh, it's basically a uh, tell me I'm a good man scene. <laughs> I thought the exact same thing. For some reason, Chakotay is wearing a powder blue members only jacket. <laughs> so eyes are like piercingly blue all of a sudden. We're like, yeah. when did that happen? Yeah. 
I won't say Tuvok makes Chakotay feel better, but Chakotay feels better after hearing Tuvok explain that, like, uh, sometimes you come up against a better player, and there's no shame in losing the game to to someone who is highly skilled. You just happen to have taken two humiliating losses on a very public stage, <laughs> and that can't feel good. But uh, you know what? Uh, a lot of a lot of people would have gotten beat in your in your situation. So yeah, yeah, yeah. At the risk of you never stopping making fun of me about this, uh, this really <laughs> reminded me of a dear family member passed away recently, and we had a Zoom memorial for him this weekend. And there were 10 stories about him just savagely destroying people at croquet <laughs> in this <laughs> memorial. <laughs> it was like, you know, like Ted Ted was a, was a loving father, like a gifted home cook, and he really fucking cleaned my clock at croquet every time I visited his house. <laughs> Ted could really host a great barbecue. And uh, if I never ever needed any help, he was always there. But I will say I'm glad I no longer owe him $1,200 uh, <laughs> playing croquet against him. <laughs> and, and I was just, uh, I don't know, like it really reminded me of Ted. This Seska like, <laughs> is Seska is the Ted of uh, of being of spycraft. I guess. Yeah, guess so. <laughs> well, did you like this episode, Adam? You know, I'm really easy to get along with most of the time, but I don't like bullying. I don't like friends, and I don't like you. Look, I mean, it's it's what, like 1995? Uh, it's 2021, Adam. We're not going to get You've a- You've got a lot to catch up not, on. There's we're not going to get a 46-minute episode of Star Trek Voyager that feels like the usual suspects. We're just not. Right. I thought the way that they, re- that they maintained the mystery of whether Seska was the heavy was effective for its time, mm-hmm. suitably interesting, kept me in suspense. I, hey- Guys, maybe uh, maybe let Carrie out of his <laughs> out of his quarters, you know, before the episode ends. I think that'd be cool. That would have been a great button. Like, that should be the button. Carrie just like looking at his watch, <laughs> like throwing his hands up. Like, I wonder when somebody is gonna come let me out of here. <laughs> we cut to we cut to Carrie in his quarters, like playing video games or whatever. And then we do that. Sometimes TNG would do this. They cut to the exterior and you can still hear the interior of what's happening uh-huh. in the scene that came before. <laughs> I would have liked that very much. Yeah. Lonely Lieutenant Carrie. I'm glad Seska's off the board if for no other reason that it, than that it, it could elevate Carrie back into prominence the way you should be. Mm-hmm. Uh, elevate Carrie, lower Carrie's com badge once again. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know. Hudson him up. Yeah. Um, what about you? I like the episode too. I I I'm right there with you, and having appreciated how it kind of kept me on my toes the entire time. And it's not. You're right. It's not the most sophisticated version of that that's ever existed, but it totally had me. And like, it's such a uniquely Star Trek Voyager storyline in a, in such a fun way. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like they like in season one really understand what is interesting about this show in a way that is like so much deeper than TNG or DS9 were in their first seasons. Yeah, I mean, that's that's a benefit to a show like this. You know, like the the architecture for what makes a great show is already in place. Like there's a format here. 
that they're aware of. Yeah. And they've learned lessons from previous versions of this show that that mean they, they can avoid some of the mistakes that, that Star Trek has made before. Well, uh, do you want to see if we have any mistakes in the Priority One inbox, Adam? I think the only mistakes having to do with the Priority One inbox are our own. Priority One message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Need a supplemental income. Supplemental income? Supplemental. Supplemental. Yeah, it's extra. But the interest alone could be enough to buy this ship. Well, we have a bunch of Priority One messages here, Adam. The first one is of a promotional nature, and it goes like this. Do you prefer your podcast host a little embarrassed? If so, try Feature Bang, the podcast where two amateur writers revel in that embarrassment to do mainstream reviews of adult films. What? At, Fe- at Feature Bang, host Tara and Jim focus on the close-on parts of adult films to give funny and insightful takes of the hidden gems of the genre, plot, production, and character. Basically, when they're not doing it, Feature Bang's reviewing it. You know, just reading the name of the show, I quite naturally had an idea of what this podcast (laughs) might be about. Never in my wildest dreams did I believe that I would be correct. (laughs) Well-named show. Um, We did this on The Greatest Discovery for that. uh, Or or was was that Greatest Discovery or was that a bonus episode of this show where we reviewed the TNG porn parody? With I, all the porno edited out. I don't remember. Maybe <laughs> maybe you can drop in uh, a an editor's note here that directs people <laughs> to where that is. But I don't know. That sounds like a lot of work. Anyways, uh, subscribe to Feature Bang because the scenes you fast forward over make for some excellent pod. I would love to be on Feature Bang, but I also know that uh, that's not anything I could tell my wife I was doing <laughs> research for. <laughs> you got to believe me. It's yeah. for a show. I've uh, got to go into my office for a little while for something. Why did it take you all day to prepare for that show? <laughs> Why are you, quote, not in the mood right now? <laughs> Why are you walking with a limp? <laughs> ben, our, our second priority one message is from Daniel in Chicago. It is to Ben and Adam. And in parentheses, it says, your pain, my shame. Wow. The message goes like this. That was a poorly conceived and written message trying to tell you what to do with your show, and I just learned that you recorded it before I could retract. <laughs> I want to apologize and say I'll follow wherever you go, even if it's with Neelix. You've provided <laughs> much-needed laughter during some pretty shitty times, and I sincerely thank you for that. LL and P. So Daniel in Chicago is calling back a uh, previous message. I'm trying to find it in our archives, and I am. Uh, oh, Daniel and Ch- oh, he wanted us to watch Earth colon Final Conflict. Daniel, you don't have to feel bad for making a suggestion like that. It's okay. Yeah, we were we, we harsh on Daniel in a way that uh, that hurt feelings. I hope not. I hope not. We we. I hope that this all comes across as being in good fun. Right. Yeah. Look, we're going to need some ideas about what to do after all the Star Trek has been watched. So I'm not yeah. I'm not going to turn off the spigot there. I was just fairly emphatic that we weren't going to take that idea for action. <laughs> 
Adam, our final priority message of this episode is also of a personal nature. It's from Aaron, and it's to my Adam, your Adam, and Ben. It goes like this. As we near another year of marriage, I'm so happy you remain my sass mouth, even though I'm a daydreamer and a bit of a giggle puss. Anyways, other Adam and Ben, perhaps with your help, I will be able to power through Voyager on my second attempt. Consider this your bribe. Thank you for giving us a reason to laugh and share Trek together. Hopefully Aaron stuck around. Uh, this was a requested date of late November. Yeah. Uh, but, I mean, we were wrapping up DS9 around then. There was probably a lot of doubt in Aaron's mind about uh, whether or not they wanted to even do Voyager with us. And I think I think we, we can say definitively a lot of reasons to have kept going, doing, yeah. doing Voyager with us. This is a lot of fun. So far, Voyager has been really, really fun to do. And uh, we really appreciate everyone who gets a P1 because it helps us finance the uh, ongoing production of The Greatest Generation. That's right. So thank you. Go to uh, MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron to book yours. I'm Captain Catherine Janeway of the USS Voyager. Captain Catherine Janeway of the USS Voyager. Hey, Adam. What is that, Ben? Did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda? Drunk Shimoda! I think Janeway's decision in just letting the Kazon leave after murdering a guy in their six bay (laughs) is crazy to me. Yeah. Like, she is so thirsty for that Kazon friendship that she just looks the other way on a murder perpetrated. All right, get out of here. You guys... (laughs) you guys you got me (laughs) i don't think you can do that captain janeway i mean especially (laughs) after she's she's taken great umbrage with other alien cultures doing weird alien shit on her watch before specifically the episode about neelix's lungs i think that this scene required an equal amount of umbrage being taken uh yeah you can't just let him go without a stern talking to at least. A slap on the wrist. I think they deserve that. Yeah. What about you, Ben? I'm going to give it to Seska. I think that we've we've had so many Cardassian villains in Star Trek history. You know, Dukat and the guy that interrogated Picard at the Four Lights being kind of the the apex examples of that. And they're they're so arch. They're such such mustache twirlers, you know, and Seska is such a low key villain um, that I think, uh, I think she's got to be my drunk Shimoda in this episode. I was just thinking about like, if you were writing a novel about this episode, like whose perspective would you write the scene from when Chakotay comes in and confronts her about her Cardassian blood and I think it'd be really interesting to be inside her head in that moment because she has to she has to sell him on a damn lie really fast. Yeah. And yeah. she clearly like knows some some made up backstory or whatever and has a lot of details to pepper in to make it sound real. Cause I fucking believed it by by the time he walked out of that room. Yeah, me too. She is as scary or scarier in some ways because of that. Like the way she can just maintain eye contact with a man that she had a romantic relationship with and tell a lie of that scope and scale uh, is uh, is really frightening. Gave me the heebie-jeebies. I'm very curious about what sort of threat she presents going forward because she worked in engineering. She knows yeah. 
the shield frequencies. She knows the weak points of the ship. She's a terrible threat to them. Where the nacelles meet the star drive section, right? Yeah, she could point to a diagram of the ship and the Grundle area mm -hmm. quite easily. <laughs> yeah, uh, so she's my drink, Shimoda. Well, Ben, it's time to point to the area on the season that we will be discussing next. <laughs> That's the moment in You're the right show in. where where uh, you tell us what's going to happen in the next episode, and then we go over to the game of buttholes, the will of the prophets, to decide how we will discuss it. The next episode of season one, episode eleven, heroes and demons. Janeway sends the ship's doctor on his first away mission: rescue the crew members who have vanished in the holodex version of Beowulf. What is this, a weird animated film from the mind of Robert Zemeckis? <laughs> yeah, must be. I mean, <laughs> whenever Star Trek makes a literary reference, it's just like jack-off hand motion. Like, yes, you're, you're very learned people, Star Trek writers. <laughs> the only fun that our crew likes to have is literary fun. You're required to learn as you play. Roll. We are currently on square 87, and uh, we've got a The Traveler a little bit ahead, and a uh, Neelix's Galley a little bit past that. Mm -hmm. Talaxian Champagne. Yeah. Doesn't sound too bad. wonder where we can find that. Here on Earth. Chula! Did I win? Hardly. Well, we're not going to have to find out this time, Adam, because I've rolled a six. Wow. We are on square 95. Wow. A big roll that puts us in range of that Mornhammered square that has been so elusive to us. What would it be like to do a Mornhammered in the next <laughs> week or so? I don't Pretty know. Pretty exciting prospect. Hard, hard to picture, um, but that that could very well happen. How would a how would a vaccine mix with a hundred shots of beer? <laughs> Let's find out. We'll be the first people to test it. Yeah. <laughs> um. In the meantime, uh, why don't we uh, give out a couple of uh, credits notes? What do you say? Can do that, Ben. Uh, the music you're listening to right now is by uh, Dark Materia, but the theme and interstitial music was composed by the great Adam Ragusea, a person that you hung out with recently on our fancy new Twitch stream. I did, yes. Uh, when one Adam closes... Another Adam opens. That should be the and rule. Adams only <laughs> as your co-host. Sorry, Robs. You're not an Adam. Uh, speaking of Robs, who uh, produces our Twitch stream, uh, you can check uh, our Twitch broadcasts out at twitch.tv slash greatest trek. Uh, we're trying to do them every Friday and um, probably a couple days uh, in between as well. Uh, less, less easy to schedule, but... Uh, Keep it locked on those Fridays, because uh, I think that's going to be our day going forward. Kicking around and, a couple uh, of names for that show. Maybe uh, yeah. TGITGG. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I love that. We're going to have to get the goose on a theme song. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> Man. Uh, <laughs> well, uh, Notice I didn't use the F, which means we can move that uh, that Twitch stream around if we have to. doesn't always have it. to be on Friday. I love it. Uh, speaking of things called Greatest Trek, follow the Greatest Trek Twitter and Instagram accounts. Those are run by 
the card daddy, Bill Tilly, yeah. who uh, we put on the payroll thanks to the largesse of the Friends of DeSoto who contribute to the production of this show by going to MaximumFun.org slash join. Hey, we got a Max Fun Drive coming up really soon, and uh, we lost a big source of revenue this year, so we could really use your help if you're in a position to support on a monthly basis. Get ready. Uh, it's going to start in May. You mentioned Bill Tilly, social media director for Expert Shimoda. So many places on social media to meet a friend of DeSoto. Use the hashtag greatestgen wherever you like to socially mediate. Uh, Our Twitch is in some kind of way related to our Discord. You can go go meet a friend on the Discord uh, at drunkshimoda.com. Really fun place to talk about our show and uh, talk about things not related to our show with friends in DeSoto. There's also wonderful communities on Facebook and Reddit and uh, Wikia all over the internet. Really fun hangs with the friends of DeSoto. So uh, with that, we'll be back at you next week with another great episode of Star Trek Voyager and an episode of The Greatest Generation Voyager that is uh, dropping a lot of ancient literary uh, references just to make ourselves seem a little bit smarter. Make it so. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.